That's what Happier Hour is about. How do we invest our hours so that we feel joy in our days and in a, satisfied about our lives and with our lives and with the goal of at the end of it all, looking back and not feeling regret because we've lived it. This is the time, like this hour that we are spending now is a part of our life. And these hours add up to our days or years in our life. And so it would be a shame to sort of move through them and wait for something later when this is the life we're living. Hence, moving to California. Hey everyone, I'm Cal and welcome to the Intentional Leader Podcast. No matter how you are coming to this show, I hope you leave inspired and with some practical tools to help you lead yourself more effectively and to help you have a higher impact as a leader. I hope you enjoy this episode. Let's go make it count. Well, hello everyone and welcome to episode 97 of the Intentional Leader Podcast. I'm Cal and today I am so excited to bring you my conversation with Dr. Cassie Holmes. Cassie is an expert on time and happiness. How cool is that? She's done incredible research to understand the relationship between how we spend our time and how happy we are, how the meaning of happiness changes over time, and so much more. She's a professor at UCLA's Anderson School of Management, and she's the author of the new book, Happier Hour, How to Beat Distraction, Expand Your Time, and Focus on What Matters, which is based on her wildly popular MBA course, Applying the Science of Happiness to Life Design. This interview was awesome. Cassie's been identified by poets and quants as one of the best 40 business professors under 40, and popular accounts of her research have been featured in NPR, The Economist, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and many more. She previously was a tenured faculty member and award-winning teacher at the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, and she has her PhD from Stanford University's Graduate School of Business and a BA from Columbia. She's also super down-to-earth. For someone who is accomplished as much as she's accomplished it's always so refreshing to see someone who is so generous she just has a very generous spirit and she's really happy she comes across as naturally happy and i know that's from a lot of great research that she puts into practice in her own life so this was a really great interview i think you're gonna get a lot out of this we dive into her journey and how she's become interested in studying happiness some of her key findings from the research that can help all of us find more happiness in our life, her recommended exercises for self-discovery, why pursuing happiness is not selfish, and much, much more. Really a fun interview. Before we jump in, have you picked up our 12-page PDF that outlines 12 keys that will make you a better leader today? If not, I just want to encourage you, go to intentionalleader.org and get a copy of this. It's based on 12 of our most popular interviews. It's just 12 key ideas that we think you can go and implement right away. And be sure to sign up for our intentional leader email list to get new leadership articles every other week. So when we're not releasing a podcast, we're releasing an article. Wes Cochran and Ryan Brench, two of our intentional leader team members have been publishing excellent articles. Some of the most recent ones have been on psychological benefits of exercise how to create psychological safety on your team, the perils of perfectionism, which many of us can relate to. That one really hit me hard. Leading a team that is weary, then we're all weary. So how do you lead a team when they're struggling? 
what to do when you get punched in the mouth. Ryan Brents wrote a wonderful article on that. Not literally, but how, what do you do when life just punches you in the face? And many more. So go check out those articles. All this is with the goal to help you and me lead ourselves better and help us inspire those around us to do the same. I just want to again, thank all of you who've taken a few minutes to rate or review the podcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, wherever you listen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That goes so far in helping us reach new leaders, helping us grow, helping us get more exposure to get wonderful guests like Dr. Cassie Holmes. So without any further ado, please enjoy this conversation with the incredible Cassie Holmes. All right. Well, hey, Cassie, thanks so much for joining me today on the Intentional Leader Podcast. I'm so excited to talk with you. I Well, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and to chat with you too. I listened to your interview with Ryan Hawk and then of course with Joe Byerly. And Ryan Hawk commented on just how you are you embody happiness. And uh, I can see that. So for those that aren't watching the video, you are just smiling from ear to ear. And I love it. You're the perfect person to write, write this book, Happier Hour. Uh, my first question is, how did you become interested in studying happiness and, and time and kind of the correlation between the two? Yeah, I mean, so happiness has been um, something that I've always been driven towards. I am lucky enough to be a sort of naturally happy person. But um, also recognizing that not all of our happiness is um, luck, and actually we have a lot of choice in it. And in particular, so we don't have influence, you know, control over our inherited disposition, nor really sort of a, a, the broad sweep of it are circumstances, um, like income level, marital status, these things that People believe like, if only I had a ton of money, if only I got married or I found someone I you know, was willing to walk down the aisle with, then I'd be happy. Those things um, have some effect, but not as big of an effect as we think. The thing that does have an effect and which I'm really excited about is that how we behave, what we intentionally think about in the day-to-day -day has a significant effect on our happiness. And the thing I'm particularly interested in based off of my research on time and happiness is how do we spend our time? How do we think about our time to make us feel, and when I say happy, sort of more joyful in our days, so more positive emotion than negative emotion, and also more satisfied about our lives. And I've done the research on it and I have kind of figured it out, but that was not always the case. And I start the book um, with this story that was <laughs> when I was struggling with <laughs> not having enough hours in my day, not feeling like I had enough hours in my day to get it all done mm. you know, between job and wanting to be a good parent, wanting to be a good partner, wanting to be a good friend. And I was on this late night train that would get me home to my four month old and husband who were like asleep back in Philly on my way back from a uh, sort of work trip in New York. And as I was looking out the window, as everything was passing by, I was like, I don't know if I can keep up, mm. right? It's just too much. I felt stressed out, overwhelmed. And, uh, and I was like, clearly the answer is to quit. <laughs> to <laughs> do it. 
island somewhere <laughs> where I would have a whole lot more time to spend how, exactly how I wanted. Because, like, and I'm sure you can relate to that oh, with uh, yes. eight month old. Yes. And I'm sure so many can relate to that mm -hmm. with whether you have kids or not, but just the pressures of work and the sort of fast paced culture that we yeah. live in where everything is seems to be in such a hurry everything is driven towards efficiency and getting things done um without accounting for the fact that in that rushing we're sort of missing things along the way we're missing joys that are already there in our life and um and so i uh went on to actually explore empirically what's the relationship between how much discretionary time people have and their happiness to answer my sort of <laughs> daydream of like, if only I had a lot more time, then I'd be happy, right? Um, but it turns out based on the data that folks who do have a whole lot more discretionary time are not actually happier. And you actually see when folks have a lot of discretionary time and in particular are spending their time um, in ways that don't feel worthwhile, that don't feel productive, that are just relaxing, um, then you see that they're less happy. The answer is to myself on that night on the train and to your question of what got me into it is that it is hard, but I wanted to figure out empirically how to make it better. Um, and so I did, and I found out it's not about how much discretionary time we have, it's how we invest the time we have. And that's what propelled my research since and the course I taught and is ultimately sort of in the book so that more people can benefit from these insights. Yeah, I think it's so cool. So this, that's how you begin your book is telling the story of you're on the train, you had this moment that is so relatable. To me, for sure, and I, I think anyone that reads the book is like, "Oh yeah, that's my life. That is, that is." You talk about in the book. That's the time poverty that I feel. If I just don't have enough time to do the things that I really want to do, I'm trying really hard. I mean, it's not that I'm lazy or I don't, I don't care. Actually, I really care. Um, so it's nice that someone like you could take your skill set and uh, expertise of research and, and go and do the research and then share it with us. Now, I couldn't tell, but in the book. You talk about how you decided to, at that point, leave, maybe not exactly at that point, but you you left Wharton, moved to California, uh, and I, I'm assuming eventually, I don't know how long after that, just started teaching at UCLA's Anderson School of Business. Did that research and that kind of that initial moment in the research that you did after that, did that lead to that decision? Was that part of, well, kind of a, a pursuit of happiness yeah. almost? <laughs> Or more <laughs> happiness? <laughs> yeah. And again, happiness is a choice. So I um, am from Southern California originally. Um, so I grew up in sunshine. <laughs> and, <Yeah. laughs> you know, in uh, where my kids could play soccer in the winter on grass instead of on, you know, ice. Um, and so... <laughs> It was driven by happiness, and I realized, um, and I loved actually my career-wise, uh, professionally, my position at Wharton. It was so invigorating, um, and both of my kids were born uh, when living in Philly. But when I got tenure, which is basically is like, mm, congratulate! Yeah. I worked so hard for it, and it's like, 
congratulations, you get to spend the rest of your life here and career here. And I was like, oh, wait, I want sunshine. <laughs> like, um, I, and like in the winters, I will admit that I just got into a funk. Um, and so I, uh, when UCLA reached out as an option, it was like, yes, I want, I want to move back um, closer to home, so to speak. I mean, really home is wherever my husband and kids are, but um, back to where a place where even though actually not, neither of my kids play soccer right now, but if they wanted to play soccer, they could play <laughs> on grass you know, in sunshine. Yeah. And I've been so happy at UCLA and I've been here now for six years and it's been wonderful. You know, cause it's interesting that that decision to get, to get tenure at Wharton and then to make a decision to go down a different path seems like it was based on some self discovery of, okay, what do I really want in life? What will make me happy? And I want to riff on happiness in just a second, cause I want to make sure we're clarifying for people what you mean by happiness, because I think there's probably some people in the audience that are like, ah, like happiness is a selfish pursuit. Like if we just right. pursue happiness, then we're all about ourselves. And you have some great stuff in the book about why that's not the case. Um, but it seems like that took a lot of courage to do that, to pursue that, because there's probably a lot of people that would look at you and be like, that's crazy, Cassie, to leave Wharton. And I don't know the whole circumstance, but there's always this kind of social pressure and expectations from others that I think sometimes even when we discover what might make us happy, there's still the, a requirement to go and do that. Um, so I'm just curious, you're, like, if you kind of reflect on your own decision, like how do you, and, and you've done the research, um, yeah. like where does courage, I guess, fit into pursuing the things that ultimately make us happy? Um, I suspect it does. It's funny because I actually don't frame it as courage. <laughs> I frame it as being decisive and driven by like, yeah. I know what um, will make me and my family. <laughs> Although, you know, there's some, like, well, it, in this particular case, it was a sort of everyone, in, everyone's interests aligned. Um, but I, in knowing, it, it's just the confidence. I actually think more than courage, hmm. confidence in knowing based off of reflection of what does influence how I feel in our day, how my family feels in their days, how we interact together um, and knowing the research and also being very um, sort of aware of myself and, you know, I think it's actually more confidence and mm -hmm. like, Oh, this is the right decision. And once knowing what the right decision is, what the right answer is, then it's just a question of making it happen. And that actually, I think is really a big point of my book and of sort of myself is that we have agency mm -hmm. um, in our lives. We, we can make decisions and, and for happier hour, the, you know, I started on that place on the train, not happy. And um, someone was actually relaying and they're reading the book. It's like somehow I got to or led the reader to a place that felt really sort of optimistic and good. And they asked whether I am, am happy now. And I'm like, yes, yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, 
And it's about making decisions. And it's about being informed of what those decisions are. So informed by the research, which is there, and some of which I've done, some of which my colleagues have done, but being aware of that. And then just making those decisions. And it's not, yes, moving to California was a big decision, but happiness, it's a lot of little decisions. Yeah. Um, and so we have choice in it. And I feel confident in making those choices. So I don't think about it as courage. I think about it as just confidence in oneself. Can you talk a little bit about happiness, just in terms of the way you think of happiness? Yeah. And I use the term um, sort of because <laughs> people can relate to it. But with the problem with that is that people relate to it in different ways. But the term that I, I'm using the term for what we in the literature refer to as subjective well-being. So, and that is well-being from your perspective. So it's subjective. Mm -hmm. So me asking you, how are you feeling? And how do you feel about? And so subjective well-being is that combination of positive, more positive, the negative emotion in the moment, sort of over the course of your days. But also there is this evaluative component, feeling happy about. So happy about your life, happy about your decisions, um, happy about your year, happy about the day. And so when I'm talking about happiness, it's both the feeling and the evaluation. Sometimes they do um, sort of get disentangled, but very rarely. Um, and really the thing, the activities that I, um, I sort of suggest and advise towards um, in line with the research are those that are those that make you both feel good and make you feel good about. So they're both satisfying as well as enjoyable. They are joyful as well as meaningful. Um, and so that's, that's what happier hour is about. How do we invest our hours so that we feel joy in our days and and uh, satisfied about our lives and with our lives and with the goal of at the end of it all, looking back and not feeling regret because we've lived it. This is the time, like this hour that we are spending now is a part of our life. And these hours add up to our days, our years and our life. And so it would be a shame to sort of move through them and wait for something later when this is the life we're living. Hence, moving to California, back to California. <laughs> is there a, did your research reveal a best way to think about time? In, in other words, do you, did you find anything related to people that think longer term versus shorter term, uh, people yeah. that focus on hours versus years? I'm yeah. just, I'm just curious if, if there was anything that came out of that. Yeah, and absolutely. And I'm glad you asked it because even though the book is called Happier Hour, because that's where we're making our decisions so hour by hour, um, our research shows that actually when people take a broader perspective, thinking about their years, thinking about their life overall, what 
then actually you see people are happier, they experience greater meaning in their life. And a lot of that is driven by them spending their hours on things that are important to them, rather than just reacting to what seems urgent. Um, And when you think about your life, then it becomes much clearer about what really matters to you. Um, And so the subtitle of the book is Happier Hour, How to Beat Distraction, which we can talk about, Expand Your Time, which we can talk about, and focus on what matters most. The focusing on what matters most is that really important thing so that we spend our time on those things that are truly important to us, that are aligned with our values, that are aligned with our purpose, um, so that at the end of the day, we feel satisfied. At the end of the week, we feel fulfilled instead of exhausted or just merely exhausted. You might be tired, but it's that sort of Mm -hmm. satisfied tired as opposed to depleted Mm. and run down and sort of broken tired, like I felt on the train that night. In your research, you talked about this kind of sweet spot between two hours and five hours. So can you talk a little bit about that, that there is this, because I think a lot of us think, hey, if I had, if I moved to an island, didn't have anything to do, and just had nothing but discretionary time, life would be good. Um, many of us can probably relate to the less than two hours, but the, how did what did that look like? This, this kind of sweet spot yeah. between two to five hours of discretionary time on a given day. Yeah, and that was um, uh, research that we were looking at. So this is with Hal Hirschfield and Marissa Chiefs, and my favorite collaborators. And what we were looking at is what's the relationship between the amount of discretionary time people have and their happiness and satisfaction in life. And among uh, several studies, in one of the studies, what we did was we analyzed data from the American Time Use Survey, which captures for tens of thousands of working as well as non-working Americans, how they spent a regular day. And from that, we calculated how much time did that individual, did each of these tens of thousands of individuals spend on discretionary activities. And then oftentimes the question is, well, what counts as a discretionary activity? Something I want to do and what a discretionary activity is, is something that you want to do sort of is intrinsically motivated versus something you have to do like an obligation. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, something that might be what you want to do varies by person to person, but we wanted to be pretty conservative in this. So we said that we would count any activity that more than 90% of people agreed was discretionary, was something that they wanted to do. Um, And so this included uh, relaxing, doing nothing, watching TV. It included more active leisure, like playing sports, going out to watch sports, um, for instance. Uh, It also included uh, doing hobbies, sort of like passion projects as well as socializing, so spending time with family and friends. And so including all of that, and then also I will say that we ran the analysis also with activities that more than 75% of people said were discretionary and the same pattern held. So it's like, it's quite robust. Mm -hmm. Um, So what we found was that there was this inverted U shape. So the sort of arc shape. So with less than two hours of discretionary time in that data set anyway, 
then people were less happy. And yes, you said, we can relate to that. That was me on the train. That was us in that sort of moment of stress when we have too much, too little time to do everything we want to do. But what was interesting was that more than five hours of discretionary time, you saw that not only was it not better, but it actually was worse. Mm. People were less satisfied when they had too much sort of free time on their hands. And we looked into like, why is that? And well, it turns out we like to be productive. (laughs) So we are averse to being idle. And so when we spend hours upon hours of a day with nothing to show for how we spent those hours, it undermines our sense of purpose Mm -hmm. and it makes us feel less satisfied. And so that is, that sort of is warning us that too much time, too much free time is bad. And you see that also sort of pop up in other people's research, like retirees. Mm-hmm. Retirees who do volunteer work mm. are happier yeah, because that feels like worthwhile, impactful way of spending. It feels productive. We saw actually in our own data that when people spent that large amount of discretionary acti- of time on activities that were felt worthwhile, that felt enriching, um, or exercise or connecting with other people, then you actually didn't see this drop. Hmm. So what that speaks to, as well as the sort of large amount of time between two and five hours where there's no relationship between how much discretionary time you have and your happiness, all of that is pointing to that it's not about how many hours you have available to you. It's really how you invest those hours. And as I've been sort of (laughs) saying, as I've been relaying this insight, which I think is so important, is that it's not about being time rich. It's about making the time that you have rich. Mm. And that is the, the goal and the goal, because it will make us feel happy. Now, are you going to ask me about happiness and so that I can explain why it's not a frivolous and selfish pursuit? Yes. Tell us that. Tell us why it's not. Yeah. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> and interestingly, I actually will say that before a couple of years ago, so when I started um, or sort of brought the idea, so the book is... Um, sort of the follow-on of a course that I developed Mm -hmm. and I've been teaching our MBAs at UCLA for the last four years. Um, And when I suggested to the business school that I wanted to teach a course on happiness, it's like, what? There's no place in business for (laughs) happiness. And I, before, um, I would say the pandemic also, I used to have to make a really strong case for why happiness is important. Mm. I will say that now that anxiety rates are as high as they are, burnout rates, depression rates are as yeah. high as they are. Less, I, p- less and less people are like, is our ha- emotional well-being important? Because mm-hmm. we all know just how important it is. Um, but it is so important. And it is that emotional well-being that knowing what to do, as well as that feeling of being good and okay, is what 
allowed us to get through the last two years is what makes us resilient because research shows studies show that when we feel happy, it makes us more creative. Mm. It makes us more adaptive in our problem solving. Happy employees are more engaged. They're better performers. Um, And so it helps organizations. They're more likely to help their colleagues out. Um, They're less likely to get burnt out. They're more likely to show up, less likely to leave the job. Mm. So from an organizational perspective, it's absolutely important. But also with respect to our interpersonal relationships, it's not selfish to feel happy because when we feel happy, we're nicer. Mm. We're nicer to other people. We're more likely to help them out. Um, And by taking care of our own emotional well-being by uh, spending our time and engaging in our time in ways that fulfill us and satisfy us. It allows us to show up fully Hmm. for all of the people around us, whether it's our friends and family or whether it is our team that we're working with. Um, And so it is super important. Um, And it is not frivolous nor selfish. Um, It is what makes us motivated and better Hmm. at whatever whatever it is that we set out to do. Yeah, the word you used investment, I think it it makes sense when you think about it that way of just you are really investing in not just yourself, but you're investing in your relationships. And there's a ripple effect there. I think about you talked about your morning runs in the book. And mm-hmm. that's one of those things that's so easy. I know for me to cross that off the list of like, oh, well, I just, I'll just skip tomorrow because I don't have time. But when I yeah. do go run, when I do go work out, especially early, there's a ripple effect in my life. There's an investment that I, I see that uh, and other people can see that. I'm a lot better to be around when I've worked out. <laughs> totally. um, I'm a better totally. parent. I'm and a better employee, all the things. Yeah. Absolutely. And it's that morning run, which is like of all the things, that's still the thing I have to <laughs> remind myself about. Like I even like go back to read those paper pages. I'm like, yes, uh-huh. it is so important because it is one of those things that it's when we're busy, exercise, it's easier not to do. And I will say personally, when I'm busy, that's the thing that seems like it's easiest not to do. Mm-hmm. It also seems like it feels even as I just told you. And so I like also have to like not pep talk myself, but like teach myself throughout. It also feels the most selfish mm-hmm. because it's like, oh, this is something I'm totally doing <laughs> by myself and for myself. Uh-huh. Um, and so that's why it's also one of the first things that gets um, sort of neglected on my list. But as you noted, like when you work out in the morning, it has that ripple effect on not only how you feel the rest of the day, but how you show up the rest of the day um, for those around you. So it is important. And um, with respect to our sense of how much time we have, one of like uh, this time poverty, this acute feeling of having too much to do and not enough time to do it. It's a feeling and there are inputs into that feeling. There's these expectations of all that we can and should be doing, but it's also our confidence in being able to accomplish with the resource that we have, namely time, what we do want to do, what we do set out to do. And so to the extent that we can 
do things that increase our confidence, that increase our sense of self-efficacy, mm. like I can accomplish, then that actually expands. And we show in our research that expands people's sense of how much time they have. So actually, given that exercise is one of these activities that not only has been shown to be like a mood booster mm -hmm. and offsetting anxiety and depression, but it also is really effective at increasing self-esteem mm -hmm. and confidence. So it's like going on that morning run, yeah. even though I'm like, oh, initially, <laughs> do I have time for this? Like, oh my gosh, there's so many other things to do. This is selfish. When I'm on that run and the sun is rising, I, and I can say I did go this morning, and so I can very vividly remember, it's like, okay, day, yes. I'm ready. Yes. Like, bring it on. Mm. And um, that sense of limitation that comes from this feeling of scarcity of time gets lifted. Yeah. I have, it's interesting too, because I, I think there's a, a similar um, pattern when you, when you neglect things like that too, when you neglect the run and you do it one day, like, ah, I just don't have time. And then the next day, ah, I just don't have time. And then over time you start to see that negative kind of like money, you know, you invest it over time and you really see it grow. If you don't invest it, oh man, now you're, now you're missing the, the time value of money. Um, so it's interesting just how, how to think about those, those investments in either direction. So I, um, just started to become a teacher. I'm now a professor at the Army's JAG school. So I'm teaching in the criminal law department. So I was curious. So your your course, Applying the Science of Happiness to Life Design, I'm curious, do you do you get surveys at the end of the course or do you, do you get some feedback from the students in some formal way at the end? Well, yes, there's course evaluations that all faculty get. Okay. Of, um, but I am more <laughs> deliberate because like, that's like what the students are telling the school. Right. That's like everyone about, does like, that. Yeah. Yeah. And so like, great. Like it's, it's great for them to tell mm -hmm. the school, like we love this course is having this effect. You know, she cares about us. So we like her. Um, <laughs> the thing that's more valuable for me is seeing what is the effect of yes. the course yeah. on my students. And so I actually, measure before the course starts. I measure my students' happiness, their positive emotion, negative emotion, their sense of connection, their sense of engagement, their sense of meaning. Um, and on those same measures at the end of the course, I conduct those same measures. And I see each um, class that I've taught that I see uh, statistically significant and meaningfully wow. significant increase on positive emotion, on satisfaction, sense of meaning, and a sense of connectedness. Wow. Which is so rewarding because a lot of the assignments, so in the book, it's that I give the reader exercises, which yeah. are based off of assignments that I give my students. And what these assignments are doing are sort of tackling those things. So that sense of connection, that may be the thing that I'm most proud of when I see that increase for my students, because our sense of genuine connection and the relationships that we have and that sense of belonging is such a fundamental and principal contributor to our satisfaction in life mm. and our sense of meaning and our happiness. And 
that is something loneliness is actually the shortest way to get to depression fast. Mm. Um, and so the, the, by in helping people and informing people of how they can invest their time to really cultivate that connection, foster those relationships, um, and therefore feel happier is really fun. And then also, in addition to my survey data, I asked my students at the end of the course, like, what were the exercises that were the most impactful for you? Yeah. And why? And interestingly, you see um, all of them are most impactful for at least a couple people, which, and then like some are more impactful for some than others. So in the book and in the course, I sort of give all of the exercises so that people can try them on and see what's most helpful for them. And those are the things that they should continue to practice. Um, but, you know, with that sense of connection, one of my students, like at the end, and he actually has since followed up and this is years later. He's like, I attribute <laughs> <laughs> like my marriage, like the, the fact that my marriage has survived to that course. Wow. And like, that's really fantastic yeah isn't that happy <laughs> that's that what a what an well it doesn't surprise me uh and for those who are considering getting the book i highly recommend it because there are there's a lot of great research obviously this is a culmination of of decades of your life putting this together um but it's very practical it's it's very practical and actionable there there are these exercises throughout the book that you can do to really begin to immediately implement uh, and, and be, really gain a lot of self-awareness about who you are and what you do value. So I, so I love the way you've structured the book, Cassie. I think it's, it's really helpful. What are there exercises that do seem to rise to the top, like more broadly with the students? Yeah. So there is, so the goal is, or sort of, the goal is to be happy and satisfied. Um, the means to that is to maximize the amount of time we spend on worthwhile activities, mm. minimize the time we spend wasting activities. And then the question is, well, what are the worthwhile activities? So one of the exercises that people find really helpful um, is one that allows you to identify for yourself what are your worthwhile versus wasteful ways to spend, namely time tracking. Mm -hmm. So what time tracking is, is over the course of a week, um, writing down, and there's a um, sort of PDF that one can print out on my website and more detailed instructions in the book. But it's basically you, you're writing down every half hour, what activity are you doing? And being pretty specific, like not just like I'm work, I'm working, but like what work project are you doing? Or not just like I'm socializing, but who are you with and what are you doing? Um, and as importantly, rating, as you come out of that at that time, rating on a 10 point scale, how happy do you feel? And it, like with 10 being the most joyful, satisfied, one being the worst. Um, and then what you have Notably, I will say that one of my students, even though he noted this as his most impactful uh, exercise, he was like, it was so tedious doing it, but the outcome is worthwhile. So, but because what you have at the end of the week is this amazing personalized data set 
where you can look across and see what are those activities that you gave your highest ratings to? What are those activities that you gave your lowest ratings to? And among the highest, like not only what the activities are, but what are some commonalities across them? Like, where are you? Are you outside? Are you inside? Are you with one person or are you with a group of people? Um, And this allows folks to sort of pull out what are those dimensions or aspects that are really sort of contributors to your emotional well-being and your happiness. And then also you can see with this data just how much time you're spending across these various activities. And so you can see like, holy cow, I I had no idea that I was spending like hours on an activity that got like fours and fives on your ratings, not even important or needed to do. Like, okay, well, that's informative. Like that is something I don't need to spend as much time on. Um, And so that is uh, one of the exercises to allow folks to really identify for themselves, like not me telling you, don't spend Mm -hmm. time on social media or... Don't watch more than a couple, you know, an hour of TV at night. It's for you to identify, okay, actually, it's sort of interesting. That first hour of TV in the evening is really high, but hour two, three, four, when you're binging, it's like, yeah. actually, not that happy. And so, oh, that's information. Then I will, you know, spread out, like watch a little TV and make it very intentional and deliberate. Um, but there's so there, I mean, there's so many insights that can uh, fall from that data set. And so that's one that, while it may be tedious while you're collecting your own data, um, is really insightful. I'm assuming that you've done these exercises and you've talked before about kind of turning something that is a routine into a ritual. Um, and I'm curious as you've done this time tracking, was there anything that you, for you that stood out of like, oh, wow, that's, that's something that I really need to pay attention to. That really brings me a lot of joy or, or even maybe on the converse, something that you were like, I need to, I need to stop doing that or do that less. Yeah. And turning the routine into ritual is uh, something I love to talk about because it's so simple And it's so powerful. And for me, it is such a source of happiness. So, and you can even like, even without doing time tracking, I could like say, all right, think back over the last couple of weeks, what were those moments where you felt the most joy? And for me, that's really helpful to do because I'm like, even in those crazy busy weeks, there's absolutely these moments that bring me joy. And one of those moments that continues to bring me such joy are my coffee dates with my daughter. And um, this is something that was born out of a very functional routine. Like it was me, like my little one tagging along, my daughter, well, I dropped off the big kids at school and then I, on my way of dropping her at preschool and me to my office, wanted to stop and get caffeine because that's what Naturally, I wanted. Yeah. <laughs> right. So it was like a caffeine stop and she was tagging along, but what was a sort of routine? We turned it into like this special time and it's called, it's even though it's now on Sunday mornings, it's called our Thursday morning coffee date and we named it and it took on meaning It took on these sort of particulars of how we did everything just so, of like 
She orders her hot chocolate. I order my flat white. We get our croissants and then we sit and we have this half hour where it's just the two of us hanging out. And it's so delightful and it is special. So by calling it a ritual, making ritualizing it, it's our tradition. Hmm. We give it a name. And then also notably, even though it's only 30 minutes, that 30 minutes and my happiness in it colors the red, like so much else of my week. Like we have the time anticipating it. So we look forward to this ritual <laughs> and then we like remember it. It's like we talk about it and um, it is so precious and it is just 30 minutes. But it's like, you know, we talked about what is happiness. It's like how happy you feel in the moment, but it's all so how happy you feel about, how satisfied you mm. feel about. And if you ask me, Cassie, are you happy? I'm like, yes. <laughs> and what am I thinking about? I'm like, well, I have a fantastic relationship with my daughter. Mm. Why? Well, it's not because I pick her up at three from school because I don't, because I work and I can't. But it is because we have this 30 minutes each week that is treasured. And I am not distracted. Like my phone is away, like put away, not out. My mind, which usually is like my to-do list. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're always thinking about what's next and planning for and what should I be doing? Nope. That's quieted because this is 30 minutes. That is my joy. Mm -hmm. And so from that 30 minutes, it has a really big impact on my overall happiness. I love that language too, of just the idea of making it a ritual. And I was thinking about this earlier of like, what is that? What, what, what would that mean to call something a ritual? It's, there's a protection there to it. It's special. Um, and I just think it, it makes it more meaningful. Some of those specific things you mentioned of, okay, my phone is, is nowhere to be seen. Cause this is a, this is a, I'm going to protect this time. This is special. Um, and we, we think about it, we reflect on it. I just, I think that's, that language is really important. I think people can take that and think about their own lives of like, what are some of those moments that are part of your routine that do bring you joy that maybe you want to make into, you want to label that as a, a ritual of sorts um, for you and your family or, um, or your partner. And I, it's funny too, my wife, that's kind of my wife and our daughter, they've always enjoyed a very similar uh routine and, and probably more ritual now of just of having coffee and also croissants. It's that's, that's, so when I heard you yeah. talk about that, I was like, oh, that is, <laughs> I love that. Cause I can certainly see yeah. my, we, we move around a lot, but even as we move, I always see my wife kind of finding the local coffee shop and we, cause we love to support local too. So we probably spend more money than we should, yeah. but, um, it just, <laughs> but it's special. It's, it's one, it's just kind of our thing. And, and now it's become for us, uh, Saturday mornings, we just do, we just do like coffee and breakfast as a family out somewhere. And that's just like kind of yeah. sacred protected time. And even though there's always a lot of pressure to do other things on Saturday mornings, we just, we, we do tend to protect that because we've just maybe put a label on that. Um, so. Yeah. It's so powerful and it's so simple. Yeah. Um, because, and it's like calling it a tradition, like your yeah. Saturday morning tradition. Yeah. It's like, and research shows that actually families who have traditions on the holidays too, actually, families who have holiday traditions are more likely to gather for the holidays and they enjoy the holidays more. 
And these traditions don't have to be religious, like based. It is just as you use the language. It's what we do. It's what we right? do. It's who and we are. So, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so it's so um, fun. And so like, I absolutely encourage folks um, within your smaller family, like, or within even your relationship of like, uh, instead of, you know, on Thursdays, if you cook dinner uh, with your partner or, or on Friday, whatever, I don't know, like, instead of just this um, routine that you're going through, like, you can turn on the music, like, mm. pour yourself a glass of, you know, both of you guys a glass of wine and like, that can be a ritual. It's yeah. like cooking dinner together can be a ritual. Um, even you can actually have your own personal rituals, like coffee in the morning instead of like, oh, it's just drinking a cup of coffee. But if you do it just so. Mm-hmm. But the cool thing about rituals and traditions is, you know, I talked about the power of connection, interpersonal connection, and what rituals and traditions do, or shared rituals and traditions do is that they really connect you to other people across time, which is so powerful because it's like, we do this every time, whether it's each year, you know, each week. And so it's pulling you together across time. And then you have this expectation of what we do, these memories of what we do. Um, And this, from that, you have increased your sense of belonging, which is really beautiful. And simple. It's like going out for breakfast on Saturday mornings, you know? Yeah, you're right. It can be so simple. And I think for the leaders out there listening, even in an organizational setting, you can create rituals. You And I've been a part of wonderful organizations in the military, especially where you join a certain unit. Like I just came from the 82nd Airborne Division. It's a historic unit. And they had rituals, they had collective things that they did. And, it, and you just kind of, you join this organization and you felt like a part of something bigger than yourself. Um, so I, I just, I love that language, Cassie, and uh, I appreciate you sharing that. So we only have a few minutes left. I do, I am, I did want to ask about the eulogy exercise though, because oh, yes. you, you have, you've got MBA students. How, how does that tend to resonate with them? I'm just curious if it, do, do that, does that tend to create a level of insight for them? That, that that's notable from your experience? Yeah. yeah. And so you, you know, you asked before, what are those exercises that are most impactful? And this is one that is mentioned by many as very impactful. And also I will say <laughs> um, a lot of people going into it are, are sort of freaked out. So yeah. what this exercise is or assignment in the class, <laughs> it's like tied to a grade, which I don't know if it makes it better or worse, but um <laughs> is writing your eulogy. So projecting forward, assuming you live a long life, um, how do you want to be remembered? Writing it down from someone like you pick whoever's perspective, like your future kids or a mm-hmm. partner or colleague or whatever. Um, how will they describe you upon your passing? And Actually, I will say that one student was like, I am sorry, I this freaks me out too much. I will not, I can't do this assignment all for fifth grade. And I was like, okay, let me reframe it. Instead of writing your eulogy, write the life that you want to live, which mm. notably is exactly the same, same exercise. Thing. Yeah. This yeah. is not an exercise about that. This is ex- an exercise about re- being explicit and really sort of um, 
building out what is that life that you want to live? Who do you want? How do you want to be remembered? Who do you want to be? Um, and it's really powerful. It's powerful because what it does is it clarifies about what is important to you. What are your values? What is your purpose? So, you know, I mentioned earlier the value of and the benefits of thinking about your life and years overall instead of um, thinking about your hours. That This is what this exercise does. It leads you to think about your life overall. And with that clarity of what really matters to you, that informs how you spend your next hour. That informs what projects you take on. That informs whether you decide to move back to California. <laughs> that informs whether I say yes to a meeting mm. that would come on a Thursday morning when I would could be having coffee with my daughter, mm-hmm. right? Those That life that you want to live, who you want to be, your values, influences these decisions. And it, it's helpful because it's clarifying. As I was actually... Now, like rounding out to the very beginning of our conversation where you asked, is it about courage? I'm like, no, it's about confidence mm-hmm. because it's, it's very clear to me what does matter to me. Yeah. And with that confidence and knowing what matters to me, then I can be, or with that clarity of what matters to me, then I can feel confident in the choices that I'm making for how I spend my time. Yeah. Yeah. I like the language you yeah. used at the beginning too of of clarity and then decisiveness. Because I, I I do think when you take the time to do these exercises, I, I remember reading Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, and I never do exercises, but for some reason I stopped and did the eulogy exercise in that book. You did? I did. And it was so clear. I and mean, this was probably mm, eight years ago. But that actually, the part of that process was actually kind of when it, why I ended up starting this podcast, because I started to really appreciate living intentionally part of why this is called intentional leader and just that idea of there is a there's a right and a you know there's a right way for you to live and it takes and takes deliberate focus it takes intentionality and um that really clarified a lot for me and it did allow me to be more decisive um and I and I have found though if I don't continue to kind of renew my mind it, I'll forget what's important you know so I I do think that I I have to go back and review and reflect. Um, and so I'll just say, and we, we only have a, like one minute left, but uh, there are so many exercises in this book. You've got the get moving exercise, random acts of kindness, which we didn't get to, but I love it. Uh, time tracking, which we talked about with this next exercise on sleep and joy and time crafting and the eulogy. So please everyone go get the book, The Happier Hour by Cassie Holmes, an excellent book. Um, you can just tell that it's based on a, a mountain of research. So, um, so Cassie, I'll give you the last word. I know you're not on social media, which I love by the way that you're not on social media. I think that's so cool. It's, it's very, there's some integrity there. There's some, you know, yeah, like, yeah, you're, you're living your values. Um, so yeah, last, last, like one minute, what, uh, where can people connect with you, learn more about you, anything else you want people to know, but thank you so much for your time. Oh, well, thank you. This was this was fun. And I'm just really excited. I, there's so much in the book, Happier Hour. And if you don't have time to sit down and turn pages, which I <laughs> absolutely understand, 
There's also the audiobook, and yes. it's me narrating it, so you will hear me walk you through、um, the exercises. And so I think that that's the most、um, valuable thing.、Um, and then you can find out more about my research and more about the book on my website,、uh, cassiemholmes.com. And、um, thank you, Cal. This was, this was a treat. I knew it would be, and it was. <laughs> well, I love you brought the happiness, the joy, and, and incredible research. So thanks so much. I really appreciate it, Cassie.、Okay. Hey, friends, isn't Cassie amazing? I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation. I've really enjoyed her book. I encourage you to get The Happier Hour by Cassie Holmes. It is truly one of those books that will change your life. Truly. I mean, it has. Incredible exercises that you can do, like we talked about, that will help you figure out what does happiness look like for you because it's different for all of us. There are some commonalities, which we talked about, but figuring out how you want to spend your time. I love what she said about it creates clarity and then ultimately decisiveness. It's not necessarily, a, she kind of pushed back against this idea of this courageous requirement that you have to Choose these things in life that make you happy for her. It's more of just because she's done the work. That's my sense. Because she's done so much time thinking about how she spends her time, it's really just crystallizes what she wants to do and that she has the ability to be more decisive. So, encourage you to check that out. I hope you enjoyed this interview. I'll put links to her book and her website in the show notes of this episode. Let me know what you thought. Let me know what stood out most to you. If you've gotten the book and you've done the exercises, let me know. Which of those stood out most to you? Is it time tracking? Is it random acts of kindness? Get better sleep exercise? The eulogy exercise? So, so many wonderful ways to understand how you're spending your time and understand how you should be spending your time to ultimately have the highest level of well being and to feel happy about the way you're living your life. So, I hope you go and make it a great weekend. If you're listening to this right as the weekend begins, it's a good way to think about how you're spending your time over the weekend. And、uh, I hope you go and make a difference in those lives around you. Remember that life is short. Let's go make it count.